much, Emily. Um, it's good to be with you. I'm not always at the 5.30, so I've met some of you before. I know some of you fairly well. Some of you I haven't met, so it's good to be here. It's good um, to be speaking this evening. Uh, Shaped by Scripture, this is our new series. As Emily told us, we've got a month looking at uh, the Word of God, what it means to us, and the importance of it in our lives. So I'm talking a little bit about why do we even read the Bible? What, why should we bother? What is it about the Word of God? Why do we want to read, um, read, read the Word? Why do we want to learn more about Scripture? Um, the Bible is actually, if you didn't know, the best-selling book in the world ever. Five billion copies in total have been bought, with almost 100 million copies sold every year. It's also, funnily enough, the most stolen book, which you feel like is mostly inappropriate until people hope maybe if they read it, they'll return it. But it's the book also that's been inspired the most song lyrics. It's the most highlighted book on Kindle. It's been translated into 532 languages. And in 1631, there was a version printed that actually became known as the Sinner's Bible, which is fairly appropriate, apart from the fact that it had an unfortunate typo. And so said, read, thou shalt commit adultery, which is a little bit unfortunate. I think it was probably quickly changed as quickly as it can be in 1631. So the Bible is widely available. You may well own a copy. We are incredibly privileged and fortunate that within the UK you can easily access uh, the Bible in any format. Other countries it's not the same and that's a privilege that we kind of almost forget about in some ways. It's widely available, it's widely owned, but is it widely read? And even more importantly, is it widely followed? I was in a second-hand bookshop in um, Bristol earlier this year, and a guy came in and he was bringing in boxes and boxes of books to hand in to donate. And there was probably about four massive boxes, so I'd say there was easily a hundred books that he was handing in. And as the lady was kind of going through them, sorting them out, taking them out of the box, having a bit of a rummage through, he realized that in, within one of those boxes there was a Bible. And immediately his reaction was fascinating. I was just standing there trying not to look like I was eavesdropping, but very clearly eavesdropping. And he suddenly was very, got very awkward and very embarrassed. said, oh, I, I didn't even know I had that. Well, I, don't, I don't know where the Bible's come from. I don't, I don't know why we had a copy of that. And out of all those books that he was handing, handing in to be donated, there was something about the Bible that caused almost a sense of embarrassment that he had owned it. He had to comment on it and explain it away. It's a book that stirs emotion. It might be a book that some of us, it stirs boredom. We, it, we don't really know where to start. Maybe we've read the whole thing over and over. Maybe we've read none of it and we wouldn't even know where to start. There's all degrees of kind of understanding and acceptance. You can do deep, deep theology into uh, the, in, the odd word within the Bible or we can try and just get through a passage and try and understand what it means. There's so many levels to it. But as Christians, we believe it's the word of God. We believe it's a foundation for our lives. It has relevance today, despite having been written years ago. It's a part of our lives. We live out, we live, as we live it out, we grow, we change. It shapes us, it roots us, and it gives us a foundation and actually, there's probably a lot of our culture, maybe a lot of our phrases that people who've never read the Bible use unknowingly 
without realizing that actually they come from the Bible. And yet also it can seem outdated, irrelevant, slightly bizarre, and also weird in places. So why do we read it? My basic point for this evening is that we read the Bible in order to know about God so that we might know of God, in order that God might reveal himself to us. We might be known as people of whom it can be said they know God, they knew God. We read the Bible because it's the place where we find out who God is, what he's like, why he made us, what he made us for. We read the Bible because it teaches us about our purpose, our meaning for our lives. It gives insight and depth. We read the Bible because it gives us revelation and wisdom. We read the Bible because it enables us, alongside our experiences, the presence of God, creation, other people, to meet with God. It gives us the foundations and truth to build our lives upon. That's a lot for one book. So we're going to look a little bit more about this question. If, we're, if I'm saying that we read our Bibles in order to know God, in order to know about God, and in order to know of God, my question today is, do we know God? How well do we know him? Could you say that you knew God? Do we have lots of knowledge about him, or do we know him as we might know a friend or someone that we're close to? Is he real and true and beautiful to us? What has God said to you this week? Is there anything that you could say that you love about Jesus this week? We, um, it's been half term this week for us, so uh, I decided to call family breakfasts, which was a great joy to all of my family. But we are all on different schedules, so it's unusual for us to be able to have meals together that regularly. So I decided 8.30 every morning we were going to gather together, we are going to have breakfast together, and uh, unbeknownst to them, we were also going to read the Bible and pray. I told them there were pancakes, they turned up quite happily, and then they were there and there was no way out out. So uh, as they were happily tucking into their Bible, into their, not into their Bibles, into their pancakes, I, um, I asked them what they were thankful for and what had happened and they were able to give me a few answers and that was fine. And then I said to them, what, would you, what do you want to praise God for this week? What is it about God that you are thankful for or that you want to praise him for? And there was a slightly stunned silence. I got a slightly stroppy response from one daughter who said, this is the type of thing we do in youth. Why are we doing it here? I won't name who that was. Um, and uh, I ignored her and carried on. One child gave me an answer. Again, I won't name names. And the other two kind of just looked at me and glared. So I thought, oh, I better leave it. So the next day I tried again. Because I thought, it's not gone great the first time, so what else to do but go again? not going to give up that easily and so the second time I asked them the same question they did notice that I'd read the same passage so that was that was a positive step um, and I asked them the same question and actually this time after a bit of time and a bit of thought they actually had something that they could answer I think it was around uh, creation or the beauty of um, 
uh, of the sunset, something like that. But it, that was a start, that was an answer. And actually within that repetition, we did it a couple of times and we talked about different things. As they got more familiar with the question, they had more to answer. They did have some answers, but there wasn't much to start with. And I'm not sure what you would say if someone asked you those questions. What, what do you know about God this week? What has God said to you? What comes into your mind when you think about God? A.W. Tozer, who's a theologian um, and a writer, says that the most important thing about us is what comes into our minds when we think about God. Our lives tend to move towards that mental image that we have of God. Whatever we think about will determine, uh, the determine the way our life shapes out to be, the way our life moves. It will determine everything about us. So what we think about God is pretty important. And there's two th key things that I want us to hold on to. God wants you to know him more than you want to know him. God wants you to know him more than you want to know him. He longs for us to know him. And he wants to more than we do. And secondly, he's more beautiful and wonderful than we have any idea of. We only glimpse, we only see in part. There is so much more to God than we have any clue of. And I think that we can look at people and we can look and say, I think they're someone who knows God. And when we can see that in someone, I think that they would show these things. I think that they might show a great energy for God. There's a passion and an enthusiasm about them, about them and about their relationship with God. They're willing to talk about God. They want to go and do things and be involved and commit they have great thoughts of God. There are opportunities for deep conversations. They'll challenge and ask, and they'll move beyond kind of the shallow conversation of just the everyday chit-chat to some deeper things. They'll be challenging uh, great thoughts for God. Thirdly, there'll be great boldness for God. They're willing to step out. They're willing to go to take risks, to do things that others might uh, criticize or mock them for. They won't be too worried about what others think. And finally, there's a great contentment in God. There's a peace that passes all understanding because they know God's got them. Regardless of whatever is going on, there's a great contentment that they have in God. And I long to have those four things. I long to be able to live my life with those four as the foundation I made a decision years ago to try and carve out a bit of space and time. We've got three girls and they're almost teenagers now, but when they were small and uh, life was full during the day, my moment of favorite, probably shouldn't say favorite, a moment in, of the day that I was really looked forward to was seven o'clock in the evening. The kids were all in bed. It was quiet, I could sit down, I could rest, and I could do whatever it was I wanted to do. Probably have a cup, have a cup of tea, because that's about as wild as I get. But I made the decision to give those first few moments, that first 20 minutes, at 7 o'clock in the evening, to seeking God. And I'd heard this phrase throughout my life over and over again about having a relationship with Jesus, getting to know God. And I thought, how do you do that? How do you actually do that with someone who you can't see and who doesn't respond in the way that any other person would do? And so I thought, I'm going to try this, and I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give God that time 
because that's my best time that I can give him. I can't do the mornings, but I can do that. And out of that, I've seen God work in my life. I've seen his hand upon us. I can say far more confidently now that I know God more than I did then. I don't know how well I still know him, but I know him more. I've been aware of his presence, and I've been stirred and moved by the words in the Bible that I've read. I've been challenged, and I know that God has spoken to me through his word and through other things as well. We're going to look at a passage in Mark chapter... I'm going to, um, sorry, I'll finish that sentence. Mark chapter 12. I'm going to jump around a little bit, uh, so it'll come up on the screen, but I'm also going to throw out a few different verses as we go. I'm going to skip over some bits of this because uh, I just want to get to a key verse. I'm going to start at uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 13. So, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to try to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, these men said, we know how honest you are. You're impartial and you don't play favorites. You sincerely teach the ways of God. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to the Roman government or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, who are you trying to fool with your trick questions? And then he gives an an answer that amazes them. And then we'll jump to verse 18. He said, then... Then the Sadducees stepped forward, a group of Jews who say there is no resurrection after death, and they posed another question, and they go into a fairly convoluted, hypothetical, odd question. And then verse 24, this is Jesus' reply. He says, your problem is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. On this, this version, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? I was struck by that phrase a few weeks ago. And Jesus is being tested. He's been asked some tricky questions. But it's not going very well for the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus sees right through them. And, um, and they ask this kind of nonsensical question about resurrection, about husbands and wives and who's going to be married in in heaven and Jesus just kind of ignores it and goes straight to the point he directly and forcefully tells them exactly what he thinks they're coming with the wrong heart the wrong attitude and Jesus replies and you feel like there's almost a frustration within him as he answers them and he says you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God he says it feels like he's saying you're missing the point there's so much more to faith and here you are all tied up in these petty details and silly arguments and who's right and who's wrong and crossing the i's and dotting the t's and division and disunity and you're missing out on the whole big picture of what God's doing of what his word says what's going on in this world And we don't want to be the same as those Pharisees, those Sadducees. We don't want to miss out. I don't want to have sat here week in, week out and heard this and read my Bible, but actually missed out on the fullness of what God has for us. I don't want to have been so caught up in my life and the distractions and the busyness and the people around me that actually I've missed those quiet moments when God's trying to break in, where there's the the buried treasure that actually it takes a bit more effort to find, but it's so worth it. So I've got two questions for us this evening. Do we know the scriptures? 
and do we know God's power? Do we know the Bible? Do we read it regularly? I think probably within a room full like this, we've got all different levels across, uh, across the room. We've probably got people who know the Bible very well and people who hardly know it at all, and that's great. It's an ongoing journey. It's never completed. It's, uh, there's always more to learn. We believe that the Bible has authority in our lives because it is God's world. It's God's word. It is God's breathed and God authored. And God has authority in our lives because he is the creator of the world. He is the creator of each of us. He made us. He knows us. And so he has the best plans for us. His will is always going to be the best way to live. And finding that out is always going to be the best way figuring it out, getting to know him, getting to know his will. And as we read the Bible, and as we read it regularly, it helps us figure that out. It helps us find out about God. So jumping back to uh, my decision that I said about earlier that I made to to decide to read my Bible, to try to get to know God, I wanted to work out what having a relationship with Jesus looked like. And that's been foundational for who I am now, for my regular rhythms, for my decisions to kind of keep reading the Bible daily, day in, day out. Because over the past few years, I've known those moments, those whispers, those um, kind of what could be coincidences, but I've read something and then someone else says something similar. And then I hear the same verse again on a podcast or something else has come up that stirs within me and I pause to take note because it's come up again and again and again. I think, is God saying something? And it could so easily be overlooked. It could so easily be just a small detail but it also could be the hand of God at work in my life and I don't want to miss that and sometimes that takes stilling ourselves stilling our lives stilling our minds stilling our hearts in order to hear what God wants to say to us one uh, one a few weeks ago Phil and I were chatting and we were away for a weekend. We were chatting and praying about life and about church and everything that was going on. And we spent some time praying, particularly around God's provision and all that was going on and some specific ways that we were longing to see God provide. The next morning, I read the next chapter and where I was up in the Bible. And within that chapter, it was the story of the feeding of the 5,000 which is a great story for provision. If you're looking for provision, feeding of the 5,000 is a good one. We then went to a wedding, and as I, we were standing in this church that I'd never been in before, I looked around, and the stained glass window to my left immediately here was a picture of the feeding of the 5,000. That was interesting. That week, that story came up three or four times more, once on a podcast and even on a T-shirt. Somebody's T-shirt literally said, 5 plus 2 equals 5,000. It may have been coincidence, but it may also have been God speaking to me, saying, I can provide. There were five loaves, two fishes, and I fed 5,000 people. Don't you worry. There is provision with me. I might have missed that if I hadn't chosen to read my Bible that morning because it would have meant nothing to me. So do we know the scriptures? Do we have those patterns, those habits, those rhythms, wherever it's possible in the midst of busy lives? How do we make space for God? How do we not miss those whispers because we're distracted? 
How do we not overlook those coincidences? How do we learn to hear him, to know his voice, to know about him, to know of God's ways? Because that's the calling on each of us. And we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss what God has for us. And I'm very aware that as I talk about reading our Bible regularly, and I don't want this to be a you-must-do-this-every-day kind of rant, because we don't want it to be a legalistic thing where we tick it off, done that today, because it's about our hearts. It should never be about obligation and duty. But actually, I long that it's about living a life of fascination and delight in Jesus. As we read the Bible, it draws us closer to him. It builds that relationship with him. So it's not just words on a page, but it's deep. And it grows our love for him because we'll sacrifice everything for those that we love. And the interesting thing about the context of this story that I just read, the conversation with Jesus and the Sadducees, and Jesus says to them, you don't know the scriptures. And actually, that's an incredibly biting criticism of them because they did know the scriptures. They, did t- they were the leaders, they were the priests, they were the teachers. So they did know the scriptures. They had read them, they had studied them. People came to them to listen to them. And yet Jesus is saying, you don't know the scriptures. And the sad thing is we can. We can read the Bible and we can miss Jesus. And I wouldn't ever want to do that. So these daily choices, they may start out of obligation, but actually they turn, us, they turn into a transformation of our hearts and our minds as we honestly and um, without trickery, without that kind of sense of the Sadducees coming, you know, come on, Jesus, what are you going to do? What have you got? But actually honestly seeking Jesus. Jesus, I long to know you. He comes and he moves in us. So Jesus' challenge, firstly, is that they don't know the scriptures. But secondly, they don't know the power of God. And I think there's often a gap between what we know and what we seek. And we can have so much information and we can know about God. And you may well have read the Bible over and over again and know all sorts of things about God. But are we applying that information? Because it's applying it that brings transformation. I don't know if you've heard of Mrs. Hinch. Uh, I follow her on Instagram. She is a lady who has the most incredibly beautiful house and she loves to clean, which I find bizarre. Uh, Yeah, totally bizarre. I can't really understand it. But I also have spent many an hour watching her clean. And I know a lot about cleaning now. I know the products to use. I know what you're supposed to use in different places around the house. I know what I want my house to look like. Really, I'd like Mrs. Hinch's house. But my house doesn't actually look like hers in any way, shape, or form. And it's not anywhere near as clean as hers because I don't actually have the desire to put that knowledge into practice. So I don't do what I see her doing, even though I know what the impact will be. So unfortunately, my house is not as clean as Mrs. Hinch's, even though I would like for it to look that way. We might know a lot about God, but do we know God's power? Do we know the fullness of what he has for us? And I've often felt that frustration in my life as I read the stories in the Bible or I hear other people speak about what they're seeing God do and think, why is there a gap between what I'm hearing and what I experience and what I see in my life? There's a frustration because I think there must be so much more. How do we live in the, in the way that they lived with those gospel stories? I'm not living in that fullness and I long to. 
I love the story of Jeremiah Lamphia. I'm not sure if uh, you know of him. He's, uh, um, he was uh, alive in the 1850s and he was uh, in America. And uh, I actually went to New York earlier this year and my friend went off to a museum and I thought, I don't want to do that. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and find Jeremiah because there is a statue of him in New York City in Wall, on Wall Street and uh, I went to search him out. And I've actually got a little photo. Here's Jeremiah. There he is. I don't know if you've heard of him before and there's a photo of me with him to show you. I was very excited to find him. It did take, actually took me a little bit of searching hours definitely having to get in the map uh, to find my way around New York. But I, went, I went and I found him. Um, and Jeremiah was frustrated with the lack of fruitfulness in his ministry. He had been employed by a local church that had see, started to see decline, and they wanted to see things reversed. And they employed him, and he went about uh, inviting people. He gave it his best efforts, but actually nothing changed. And so he decided to set up a prayer meeting because his personal times of prayer were quite powerful. He felt like he was meeting the Lord, and he wanted others to engage in that as well. So he, he, I think it was something like 20,000 flyers. He invited a lot of people and he sent them all around um, the Wall Street area of New York and he invited people to a noon day, noontime prayer meeting because that was their lunchtime break on Wall Street. And on the 23rd of September 1857, the first meeting uh, started and nobody turned up. Eventually, about halfway through, about three or four people trickled in, and by the end of the hour, there were six people there. So it was a slow start. But over the next three weeks, it, it grew a bit, and by the end of the third week, there was 40 people in attendance, which is pretty good. That's good going for a noontime prayer meeting, I would say. But then on the 10th of October, the stock market crashed. And suddenly, people were flocking to the prayer meetings. Within six months, 10,000 people gathered daily across New York City to pray, as well as in other cities across America. It spread across the whole nation. And experts now believe that within that next year, one million people were saved. Out of Jeremiah boldly starting that prayer meeting, hearing that nudge of God, listening, knowing God, knowing what God was saying to him, he stepped out and he saw God move in incredible ways. So do I think I'm living in the fullness of God? Well, until I see what Jeremiah said, saw, I'm going to say no. Until I see prayer meetings of 10,000 people, I'm going to know that there's more out there. There is more possibility. There is more in the power of God. And it depends what his call on us. I'm not Jeremiah, so his call on me might be very different. And there is a different call on each of us. But do we know what that call is? Do we know what God has put on our hearts? And do we know the fullness of all that he has for each one of us? So how do we know this power of God in our lives? As I read through a few chapters in Matthew the other day, I was struck again and again by the, by the number of times the word authority is mentioned. Matthew 7, verse 29, it says, For he taught as one who had real authority. Matthew 8, verse 9 says, I've got authority over my soldiers. When I say go, they go. Matthew 9, verse 8 says, They praised God for sending a man with such great authority. There was something about Jesus' authority that set him apart from everybody else. 
He inspired and he drew a crowd. People knew that he was different. The way he taught was different. But then Jesus gives this authority to his disciples. Matthew 10 verse 1 says, He gave them authority to cast out evil spirits, to heal every kind of disease and illness. He sent them out, and after they had spent time with Jesus, after they had listened to him, learned from him, followed him, been with him, they were sent off on their own to give it a go. Jesus sent them out and gave them his authority, and he does the same for us today. We get to know God. We, know, we get to know more about him, and we get to know of him. We learn from him. We listen to him. We read the Bible, and as we do, he gives us authority to go. He sends us out into the world, telling us to go, to preach, to care for people, to heal, to pray. We've been given authority over the power of the enemy because of Jesus. Jesus has won the victory, and so there is an authority and a power that we have. Do we know that? Do we live in it? As we make space in our days to hear what God is saying, are we aware of the wisdom of the revelation of him so that we can step into all that he has called us to? We've been given authority to go. So do we know God? Do we know the scriptures? Do we know the power of God? Are there things that we need to put in place, patterns, habits, regular rhythms that will help us? Do we need to make space for God's word in our lives? Are we so busy that we don't get chance to stop? Or are, is it that our hearts and minds are so busy that even when we do stop, we need to still our hearts and minds to be able to hear what God is saying? Those little whispers, those little nudges. We might make the space, but are we asking God to fill it, to reveal himself to us, that we might know him? that we might know his power. I've got one final quote, and then I'll finish because I've overrun, so apologies. Knowing the word of God helps us to know about God, which leads us to know of God. This is what J.I. Packer said, who wrote the classic book, Knowing God, many years ago. He says this, Actually, what matters supremely is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he knew me first. And he continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. We know Jesus. We are able to know Jesus because he knew us first. He came to meet with us. He cares for us. He watches over us. And so we can know him. We're able to know God. We're able to know about God. We're even able to know of God but only because first and foremost, we are known by God. And I've got two, as I, I am closing now, and we're going to move into a time of communion. And uh, as we take communion, there's space for reflection and quiet. And I'd love us to reflect on two questions. What are we hungry for? Are we hungry to know God? Do we want to know him more? 
Do we want to have him reveal more of himself to us? What are we hungry for? Are we seeking God? And secondly, what's the next step? Wherever we are on this journey of reading the Bible, of knowing God, what's the next step? Maybe we've never looked at the Bible before. And actually the challenge is just to spend three minutes a day reading a passage. Start in a gospel. Start with Matthew, Luke or Mark or John. And read a small passage, three minutes a day, two minutes a day praying, and one minute listening to God. Three, two, one. Start small. Or maybe we've read the Bible every day for years and years and we know it well and we know it thoroughly. What's the next step for us? Because there's always more. Maybe take one book and do a deep dive. Become an expert on that. Because I'm not sure how many of the experts there are on Ezekiel in our city. So maybe you're the expert. Or maybe find someone who is new to the Bible, who doesn't know as much, and would love to learn more and to learn more about how to read the Bible and how to know God through reading the Bible. There's a next step for all of us. So what are we hungry for? And what's the next step? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into communion. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power, that you, for your power that is in us and that you work through us. Thank you that we can know you. And Lord, I pray that you would stir us to seek you. You would stir us to find you. Lord, I thank you that when we come to you hungry, longing for more, you come and meet with us. And so would you move us on? Would you keep us growing? Would you help us continue to keep moving and becoming more and more passionate? Lord, we don't want to ever stagnate or be lukewarm. May we only grow and become more passionate and closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen.